Stay up to date and engage with the financial world. You're listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. On this channel, we've covered many corporate frauds, from the American energy giant Enron, which had billions of dollars of fake profits, to Sino Forest, the Chinese lumber company that didn't have any trees. Frauds are clearly bad for any economy. Employees get laid off and investors lose confidence in the entire financial system. But in advanced economies, they are generally not catastrophic on a national scale. The same cannot be said about developing nations, where corporate frauds can have a much more devastating effect. This is especially true in post-Soviet states, where politics and business are joined at the hip by so-called oligarchs. Private Bank is the largest bank in Ukraine by assets as of 2021, sporting 1,200 branches and 6,000 ATMs. It was founded by the Ukrainian oligarch Ihor Kolomoisky, who has an estimated net worth in excess of $3 billion. In 2016, it was alleged that Kolomoisky and his associates embezzled $5.5 billion from the bank, putting it on the brink of insolvency. With private bank being a systemically important financial institution, the Ukrainian government was forced to nationalize and recapitalize it, costing the country more than 5% of its GDP. Shortly thereafter, Kolomoisky fled to Israel to avoid prosecution. But the story gets far more interesting. Kolomoisky hated then-president Petro Poroshenko, as Poroshenko tried to reduce the power of oligarchs such as himself. And in countries like Ukraine, oligarchs can often be more powerful than democratically elected officials. At the time, Kolomoisky was the majority owner of OnePlus One Media, which was one of the largest television broadcasters in Ukraine. In 2015, OnePlus One Media started airing a show called Servant of the People, in which a schoolteacher, played by then-actor Vladimir Zelensky, became president of Ukraine. The show was extremely popular, and turned Zelensky into a superstar within the country. In 2018, Zelensky created the Servant of the People political party, named after his TV show, and announced a real presidential campaign. Kolomoisky's OnePlus One Media Group increased the airtime of Zelensky's TV show, as well as giving him favorable coverage during the campaign. In 2019, Zelensky easily won the election, receiving 73% of the vote compared to incumbent Poroshenko's 24%. After his inauguration, Zelensky fired many anti-Kolomoisky government officials, allowing the oligarch to return to Ukraine without the fear of prosecution. In this video, we'll look at how Ihor Kolomoisky became so powerful, and more importantly, we'll delve into the relationship between Kolomoisky and Zelensky, and what this means for Ukraine's future. Born in Dnipropetrovsk, Ukraine, Ihor Kolomoisky's business career started in the 1990s, shortly after the fall of the Soviet Union. Driven by the five-year plans of the Soviet Union, Ukraine's economy overbuilt its heavy industry and mining sectors. But they had a lack of consumer goods like fashionable clothing and televisions. Kolomoisky created a trading business that would export metals and other goods that Ukraine had a surplus in and use the funds to import Western consumer goods that were in high demand in the newly independent Ukraine. He and his business associates used the money they made from the trading business to create Private Bank, one of the first privately owned banks in the country. Private Bank was one of the first Ukrainian banks to start issuing credit and debit cards, as well as use automated teller machines. These modern amenities allowed them to attract huge numbers of depositors, and it quickly became the largest bank in the country by assets. By 2014, Ihor was already one of the richest and most powerful men in the country, but he was about to get a lot more powerful. 
In 2014, a popular uprising forced the pro-Russian government to step down. Putin used this as an opportunity to annex Crimea and fund pro-Russian separatists in Ukraine's eastern regions. This put the newly elected president, Petro Poroshenko, in a very difficult position. He had to contend with tens of thousands of Russian armed separatists who wanted to turn large parts of eastern Ukraine into independent republics. Due to budget constraints and corruption under the previous government, the Ukrainian military had decayed to the point of barely existing. They had roughly 6,000 combat-ready troops. For comparison, the New York City Police Department has 36,000 officers. Given the dilapidated state of the official military, Poroshenko had no choice but to turn to the dozens of irregular militia groups that had sprung up across the country. These groups did not take orders from the Ukrainian government. They instead took orders from the oligarchs who funded them, and one of the biggest militia bosses was none other than Ihor Kolomoisky. Kolomoisky was the primary financier of the Azov Battalion, a right-wing paramilitary organization which has been fighting against pro-Russian separatists since 2014. Amnesty International has accused the group of committing human rights violations, including arbitrary detention of civilians, enforced disappearances, and torture. In 2018, the U.S. government banned arms sales to Azov, citing its links to neo-Nazi groups. Regardless of whatever flaws the oligarch-backed militias had, they were successful in stemming the advance of pro-Russian separatists. In 2015, the front lines had stabilized, and Poroshenko negotiated a ceasefire agreement with Putin, turning the war into a frozen conflict for the next eight years. But now Poroshenko had another problem. The success of the fight against the separatists had made the oligarchs even more powerful and brazen. This represented an existential threat to Ukraine's already weak government. Shortly after the 2014 uprising, Kolomoisky leveraged his reputation as a defender of Ukraine to secure an appointment as governor of the Dnipro-Petrovsk region. While in office, he maintained control of his vast business empire, which included private bank as well as a growing number of investments in natural resource and media companies. He also continued funding paramilitary organizations. He reportedly had a tank in his office, which contained a live shark. He would feed the shark when people came to meet him as an intimidation tactic. One of Kolomoisky's investments was in the oil company Euchre Transnafta. Euchre Transnafta was majority owned by the Ukrainian government, but Kolomoisky was able to maintain control of the company through an arcane corporate governance framework, and he prevented the government from collecting any dividends. The Ukrainian government was in desperate need for cash, so in 2015, President Poroshenko passed a new law that would give them the authority to finally start collecting dividends from the company. In response, Kolomoisky sent his militiamen to barricade the company's headquarters in Kyiv. Kolomoisky overestimated his power, and this move was too brazen even for a powerful oligarch such as himself. President Poroshenko finally put his foot on the ground and fired Kolomoisky as governor of Dnipropetrovsk. Despite losing his official position, Kolomoisky was still a multi-billionaire, and his business empire had tremendous power. In an interview shortly after being fired, he half-jokingly said, quote, I'll stay an oligarch, a businessman, a parasite, in society's opinion. I don't see any reason to change the things I've been working with for the past 25 to 30 years." Unquote. And his most brazen scheme was still yet to come. While he had diversified into other industries, private bank was still Kolomoisky's most valuable asset by far. It had tens of billions of dollars worth of deposits, and he wanted to get his hands on them. Kolomoisky and his associates set up various shell companies, most of which were little more than P.O. boxes registered in the British Virgin Islands. These shell companies never had any intention of paying back these loans. If the loans weren't repaid, the bank would collapse. 
This would trigger an investigation and the ill-gotten loans would be seized by the authorities. If they wanted to protect their money, they needed to remove it from the country. Ukraine's central bank keeps track of all international transactions. If they tried to move such large sums of money abroad, it would surely raise red flags. Of course, being the owner of Ukraine's largest bank, Kolomoisky knew all of the ins and outs of the country's financial system. So he had private banks set up a branch in Cyprus. Because of the technicalities of how the Ukrainian central bank tracks money flows, internal transfers from private banks' Ukrainian reserves sent to the Cyprus branch were considered internal transfers and didn't raise any red flags. Kolomoisky and his associates then used the Cyprus branch to move $5.5 billion out of Ukraine undetected. They created fake contracts and documents to trick the Cyprus regulators and move the money out of the Cyprus branch into internationally registered shell companies controlled by Kolomoisky. By 2016, Ihor and his associates had stolen so much money from private bank that it was on the brink of bankruptcy. Ukraine's central bank nationalized it and had to put in $5.5 billion of new capital to prevent a collapse. This represented a loss to the government greater than 5% of annual GDP. Kolomoisky categorically denied any wrongdoing, but preemptively fled to Israel in fear of criminal prosecution. For the next three years, he lived in this self-imposed exile, knowing it would not be safe to return to Ukraine so long as Poroshenko was president. While private bank was nationalized, Kolomoisky still owned many other Ukrainian assets, including the television broadcaster OnePlus One Media, which he continued to control remotely from Israel. OnePlus One Media produced a TV show called Servant of the People, a comedy about a schoolteacher who became president against all odds. The star of the show was an actor and comedian named Vladimir Zelensky. In 2018, Zelensky decided to run for president for real and founded a political party named after his Servant of the People TV show. In his campaign, he gave very few interviews and did not publish detailed policy positions. He mostly campaigned on vague promises to fight corruption. But non-stop favorable coverage from Kolomoisky's television networks was enough for the comedian-turned-politician to surge in the polls. In 2019, Zelensky won the election and was sworn in as president. One of the first things he did was fire the prosecutor general and central bank governor, both of whom were involved in the investigations against Kolomoisky. Now that the Poroshenko administration had been dismantled, Kolomoisky finally felt safe enough to return to Ukraine. We don't know exactly how much influence Kolomoisky had over Zelensky, but we do know that Zelensky traveled to Kolomoisky's private residences in Geneva and Tel Aviv 13 times during the oligarch's informal exile. We also know that Zelensky appointed a man named Andrei Bodan to be his head of administration. For American viewers, this is roughly equivalent to the chief of staff position for U.S. presidents. Andrei Bodan used to be the personal lawyer of Ihor Kolomoisky. And finally, we know that Kolomoisky was not criminally prosecuted when he returned to Ukraine in 2019. He almost certainly would have been if Poroshenko was still president. One person who did get prosecuted was Poroshenko himself. The Zelensky administration accused him of high treason for allegedly supporting Russian separatists. He is currently being monitored in the capital city of Kyiv and is not allowed to leave without permission. This allegation came as quite a surprise, as Poroshenko was commander-in-chief of Ukraine's armed forces for five years where he led the fight against pro-Russian separatists. He was able to hold them off despite having tiny resources compared to Putin's war machine. And before Zelensky took office, there were no allegations against him in this regard. As outside observers, we have no idea whether or not these allegations have any merit. But the fact that Poroshenko has been a longtime enemy of Kolomoisky raised serious questions. It's never a good look when a new president tries to prosecute his predecessor. 
After the full-scale Russian invasion started in 2022, the situation changed yet again. To have any chance against a far larger invader, Ukraine needed support from the United States and other NATO countries. If the Western powers are going to continue giving tens of billions of dollars of security and economic assistance to Ukraine, they need assurances that none of it will be expropriated to corrupt oligarchs. The U.S. government knows about Kolomoisky's shady past. In January of 2022, the U.S. Department of Justice issued a civil forfeiture complaint against Kolomoisky. He allegedly used his ill-gotten gains to buy up hundreds of millions of dollars worth of abandoned factories across the American Midwest in an attempt to hide his assets. Zelensky knew that he had to distance himself from the oligarch if he wanted to maintain his reputation and continue receiving the security assistance that his country desperately needs. There are unconfirmed reports that Zelensky revoked Kolomoisky's Ukrainian citizenship, which potentially opens him up to extradition to the U.S. Whether these reports are true or not, he is no longer living in Ukraine. As long as Ukraine is reliant on Western aid, it is unlikely that he will ever be able to return to his home country. Zelensky has been portrayed as a hero, and the UK even awarded him the Churchill Award, comparing his struggle against Putin's war machine to Churchill's struggle against Nazi Germany in World War II. It's indisputable that Zelensky showed incredible bravery staying in Ukraine to defend his country from Russian aggression, when he easily could have fled to form a government in exile. Zelensky's actions saved Ukraine and guaranteed its survival as a sovereign state. Eventually, the war against Russia will end. After this, Zelensky will have to fight another war against the oligarchs who have held back the country's economic development over the past 30 years. Of the 45 countries in Europe, Ukraine is the poorest on a per capita basis. This is despite them having some of the most fertile land and most natural resources of any European nation. When you have an environment where one oligarch can allegedly steal 5% of GDP, it's impossible for a country to develop to its full potential. Hopefully Zelensky can show the same patriotism in fighting against the oligarch class as he has shown in fighting against the Russian invaders, but only time will tell. You've been listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. Don't miss a minute wherever you go. Wall Street Millennial, signing out.